we're going to continue our series, I Am. And so this morning I want to talk um, a little bit about um, Jehovah Shammah. I, the Lord is there. And um, the, this name of God is found in the book of Ezekiel. At the time um, of Ezekiel, the, um, the prophet Ezekiel, Israel was in a very dark season. They had been taken over by the Babylonians. They had been held captive for 70 years. Um, the Babylonians had run them out of Jerusalem, and they destroyed both Jerusalem and the and the temple. And so this was a time, um, an all-time low for Israel. Now, if you know the history of Israel, Israel had lots of good times and lots of bad times. There was just such a cycle of good and bad for Israel. Well, this was a 70-year period of bad times, of dark times for Israel. And um, in the chapters 37 through 48, um, God gives Israel, Ezekiel a vision of Israel's restoration. And Todd just shared that scripture with you a little bit um, about the dry bones when God uh, showed Ezekiel the dry bones and spoke and, t- and commanded Ezekiel to to speak to the dry bones that that that, that they may live. This is um, this is where God's name, the Lord is there, is first found. And um, we're not going to go. We're not going to read that part because Todd just described all that to you. But if you um, look further down in that um, in that passage in verse twenty six of chapter thirty seven. Uh, God told Israel, I will make a, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel, I will make a covenant of peace with them, meaning Israel. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. And verse 27 says, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. And if you continue to read in those chapters of Ezekiel, uh, the Lord begins to have Ezekiel prophesy and describe uh, what's what would happen to Israel's enemies. And then he also continues to um, describe um, how the city, Jerusalem, and the temple is rebuilt. And if you go, drop down all the way down to Ezekiel 48, verse 35, God says, And the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Now, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 3, in verse 1, that there is a time for everything, an appointed time, a season for everything under the sun, Correct. Again, like Israel, there were good seasons, there were bad seasons, there were, there were prosperous seasons, there were, uh, there were difficult seasons. And it's the same for us, correct? Uh, if we read uh, verses 1 through 8, it says, There's a time and a season for everything, for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, to plant, to uproot, to kill, a time to heal, to tear down, and to build. Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to scatter stones and to gather them, to embrace and to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and to throw away, to tear and to mend, to be silent and to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. Now, 
I think it's important for us to know that God is there in every season of life, correct? Even the difficult seasons. But I feel that it can, it's safe for me to say that sometimes we do kind of question if the Lord is really there during hard times. And so this morning, I just want to mention some of those seasons of life that God's presence is there. The first season, the Lord is there in disobedience and sin. Um, Adam and Eve is an example for us. Now, we all know the story of Adam and Eve, correct? God created them. God placed them in the garden where they could be safe. God gave them rules and regulations for them to um, to obey, to keep them under his covering and to keep them safe. And so what happens? They disobeyed God. They sinned against God. In comes the serpent, gives, gives Eve the fruit. She eats it, gives it to her husband. He eats it, and it just all kind of snowballs from there, correct? <laughs> and here we are today. But in um, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, when God asked Adam, where are you, he wasn't needing help finding them. He knew exactly where they were, and he knew exactly what they just did. He wanted them to recognize that he knew what was going on. And I think about this in regards to mom, since it's Mother's Day. You know, I, I believe that God has given, given us that same gift of knowledge and discernment when it comes to our kids. You know, if you think about it, if you are a mom or if you have a mom, you've been a kid, and your mom's in the kitchen doing dishes, and you're in another room, or your kids are in another room, or they're in the living room, and your back is turned to them, and you hear, I saw that. Or you need to quit doing that. And you think, how in the world did she know that? You know that saying, mom have eyes, moms have eyes behind their heads. I believe that that is just a gift that comes from God himself to say, I see you. I am there in your disobedience and your foolishness, right? And I'm telling you, I believe that God has given us this gift to keep our kids out of way more trouble than they already get themselves into, right? So the Lord is there in disobedience and sin. The Lord is also there in our past, our present, and our future. You know, we are made of time. On this side of heaven, we are made of time. We can only exist in the here and the now. We can only exist in the present. But God is timeless. He's a timeless God. He's an everlasting God. He's an omnipresent and an omnipotent God. He's timeless. He's the beginning and the end. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, we've been talking about the names of God, I am. Jehovah, the word Jehovah means I am. And so if you look at that, um, Relook at that scripture, taking into consideration that the Lord is there, I am there. You can read it like this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is. 
I am there by your side here and now. Who was, I am there in your past. And who is to come, I am there in your future. You see, he never left our past. We've left our past, but he's never left our past. He's here with us now, and he's already in our future, preparing our life for us. The, number three, the Lord is there in trials and suffering. There's a scripture in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now the water and the fire that Isaiah speaks of in this passage is trials and tribulations. It's hardships and challenges of life. And if you drop down to verse 5, it says, God says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And it's as God is say, it's as if God is saying to us, I'm not just standing at the finish line cheering you on. I am right by your side going through this with you. And when I saw that part, I thought about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, if you remember the story of these three fellas, if you're familiar with Shadrach and Benny growing up as a one of those kids, Shadrach and Benny, you know, the king, they wouldn't bow down and worship the king. And so the king wanted to throw them into the fiery furnace. And he said, make sure that this furnace is super, super duper hot, the hottest you can make it, and throw them in there, correct? And so that's what happened. They got the fire hot to the degree that some of the uh, the people standing outside the doors perished because it was so hot. Threw them into the fire, and the king came to see if they had been burned up. And in Daniel uh, chapter 3 and verse 25, it says, Look, this is the king speaking. I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. God was there with them. He wasn't there on the outside saying, I'm praying for you, hoping the best for you. Good luck in there. He was in that fire with them. He was in the fire with them. And he's saying, you're going to come out of it. You're going to come out of it. And number four, the Lord is there in death. Now, two guys in the scripture I thought about whenever um, I got to this point. One um, is David. Um, and in Psalm 23, verses 1 and 4, the, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, if you are familiar with David, King David in the, in the Old Testament, you know, he escaped death multiple times over the course of his life. Multiple times. His life was in danger. He was um, close to death multiple times because people were after him. The king was after him. His mentor was after him and wanted to kill him. And he knew that the Lord was there, even in those times of death. He says, 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And another um, example is Paul in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. If you, if you hadn't seen that movie about Paul, it's really good. Um, that just recently came out. But Paul says in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. This is, a, this is around the time that he was about to be executed. So he knew that death was certain for him, and he was on, he was on his way to death. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. And in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul says, you know what, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So basically he was saying, whether I live or die, the Lord is there with me. To live is Christ, he's there with me in life. And to die is gain, he's with me in death. And I think it's the same situation for us as believers in Christ. Because we serve the same God that Paul served. In Proverbs chapter 14 and 32, it says, When calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Even in death, we have a refuge. The Lord is there for us. So if God is there in these seasons, then why do we question sometimes or, or not recognize that God's presence is in these seasons? And so I just want to quickly just go through these, uh, these, uh, these four things that I think sometimes cause blind spots in our lives when, when we're, when we're trying to, uh, when we're going through things. Number one, in disobedience and sin, I believe that shame can keep us from recognizing God's presence. Shame can keep us from recognizing God's presence. You know, if we go back to Adam and Eve before they disobeyed God, in Genesis chapter 2 and 25, it says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So immediately upon eating the fruit, God told them not to eat. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then they hid themselves from the Lord. Why did they do this? Why did they hide? Shame. You know, shame twists the truth. Shame says, I didn't make a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Therefore, I don't deserve God's presence. Shame oppresses us with condemnation from the sinful things we've done and convinces us that forgiveness is for everyone else but us. Shame makes us think that God's presence is not there, that God's presence has left us, when in fact, like Adam and Eve, we are the ones that have hidden ourselves from him. He's been there all along, but shame says he's not there. Shame really makes us hide from him, but he's always there. Now, in time, in our past, in our present, in our future, I think that fear 
can keep us from recognizing God's presence is there. And I thought about uh, the spies in Numbers chapter 13, the, um, the spies that Moses, God spoke to Moses and said, I'm going to give you this land. Okay, I'm going to give you this land. I want you to send some spies to go check it out to kind of see what you what you about to what you're about to inherit from me. And so Moses sent the spies out and and they saw the land. They saw that it was plentiful. They saw how amazing it was, but they also saw the people that were in the land. And so fear came over them. Here they are. God is saying, "This is the future that I have for you." This this plentiful country that I have for you, here's your future. And the spies are saying, are looking at the people in it and saying, this doesn't look like a good future for me. And so they become fearful of, of God's future for them. And so they come back. And um, in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 31, it says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They, they spread fear amongst the, amongst the camp. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like gra- grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. You know, I believe, I was talking to Todd the other day and I said, and we were just talking about this this particular point. And I said, you know, I believe that fear is a time traveler. And I, f- I believe that fear wants to travel through time with us. You see, we have experiences in, in our younger years that cause us to have fear. And that fear says, okay, I want to, I want to, I want to, I was with you in your past. I want to, I want to travel through to the here and now with you. And then travel with you to your future. Our experiences with fear in the past can carry over into our current situations, which paralyze us from the peace that God wants us to feel for our future. You know, again, if we've had past experience with fear, it can, fear can convince us that God was not there in our past, right? So if he wasn't there in our past, then why would he be here in our present situation in, in, in today? And then why would he even want to be with us in our future? And the, also the thing about fear is uh, it can conform to the seasons of time. As it travels through time with us, it conforms to that season of time. For example, fear of judgment because of our past will keep us from recognizing that God is there wanting to heal our past wounds so that he can use that healing for his glory. Fear of failure in the present will keep us from recognizing that God's spirit is here to help us and to give us security in who we are in Christ. And so since we're, we're fearful of failure, we just, and, and, feel like God is not present with us, we decide we're going to take matters into our own hands. And so then we defer to people-pleasing, and we defer to perform, being performance-driven and to all the other behaviors in our lives 
that suck us into a pit. And fear of the unknown in the future can keep us from recognizing that God is there preparing a future and a hope for us. So instead of trusting him to lead us and guide us, we want to be in control of every situation. You know, and I think I have experienced this even in regards to being a mom. You know, we we pour our lives into our kids. You know, we are there with them throughout, throughout their lives. And then there comes a point in time where we have to let them go, right? And so then we are fearful of what's going to happen to them in the future. Not because we know that we're not going to always be able to be with them like we can be with them now. And so we can struggle with trusting that God is there with our kids in their future, even though we're not there, that he is there with him. Number three, in trials, I believe that loneliness can keep us from recognizing that God's presence is there in our trials. In Psalm 102, verses um, 1 through 7, it's, it's called a prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. And it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly, for my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. I am... I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. You know, I think even though we do have other people in our lives, it's very common for us to feel alone in life, especially in very dark and difficult times. You know, it's common for people to feel abandoned, like no one cares or is interested in what they're going through. Mother Teresa said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for and unwanted. It's the feeling of being deserted and alone. And I think loneliness, all these things I'm, I'm talking about this morning, they, they speak to us. They, they tell us things. And I I think loneliness kind of tells us because other people are not there for us, then God is not there for us. And number four, in death, I believe the pain of loss can keep us from recognizing that the Lord is there. The pain of loss. And I thought about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know, when Lazarus got sick, Mary and Martha sent word for Jesus to come, come and touch their, their brother. They loved their brother. They, they had a, a very close relationship with Jesus. They knew him as Lord. They knew he was God and they knew that he could, he could heal Lazarus. And so they sent word to, to Jesus 
And in John chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, it says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then, and then, of course, you read a little bit further, and Lazarus dies, and Jesus was not there in the flesh. And in John chapter 11, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, the pain of their loss blinded them from seeing that even though Jesus was not there in the flesh, that God was still there working. The pain of their loss blinded them from seeing that. And I think it's the same for us. For us, death is so painful because it represents loss. We don't, we don't like to lose things. And so it's painful when we lose things. It represents loss. Now again, shame, fear, loneliness, and pain. You know, I believe that these things can create those blind spots in our lives. And really ultimately cause things like discouragement, depression, and worry, and hopelessness. You know, the list is endless. When we, when we don't recognize God is there in a certain situation or a certain season in our lives, we can really get lost. We can really get um, sucked into um, just emotional upheaval and a lot of um, discouragement and depression and, and darkness. But I believe that the way we respond to seasons in our lives can not only help us recognize that God is there, but also help us experience that presence, experience his presence. It's very important how we respond to seasons in our lives. And so I want to give you a few of those that have helped me. So in disobedience and sin, when we respond with repentance, I believe it helps us see that the Lord is there. Respond with repentance. You know, it's difficult for most people to admit that they've done something wrong. I'll be the first to admit it. I don't like to admit it. <laughs> it's hard. But I think it's because of shame. You know, again, shame defines us by our sin. Repentance separates who we really are, which is a child of God, from what we've done. Repentance gives us the opportunity to reconnect with God in the way that he created us and intended for us to connect with him. You know, in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Again, Jesus is there waiting for us to open the door, to repent. You know, he, in, shame tells us that we're going to get, we have an unmerciful God, that he's not going to be merciful to us. When in fact, he's saying, I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm waiting for you to open that door. And when you open that door, repent and open that door, I will come in and dine with you. That sounds like a merciful God to me. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a merciful God to me. 
I believe that repentance is a gift from God that exposes shame as a liar and opens the door for us to experience God as merciful and loving. Merciful and loving. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, I believe sin is heavy. Sin weighs more than we were created or designed to carry. It's a load too too heavy for us. And God knew that. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could have the gift of repentance. And I think about that story years ago whenever Todd prayed for this young guy who um, he was sick and um, he was getting saved and they were praying for him and he was repenting, true repentance, man. He had a rough life and he was just repenting and uh, giving his life over to the Lord to the degree that he was so overwhelmed with God's presence being with being there with him that he fell to the ground. And whenever he got up, he started to look around and he's like, and Todd said, what's the matter? He said, I lost something. Some, so I lost something. He said, I feel like, I feel like this weight just fell off of me. I don't know what it was. And I thought about this scripture, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. God will never reject repentance. In time, in our past, our present, in our future, I believe when we connect our faith to God's word, that will help us recognize that the Lord is there in our past, our present, in our future. When we connect our faith to God's word. You know, fear says this. Fear questions. Is God there? But faith declares God is there. And so it's so important for us to have a word from God, from his, from his word that we can connect our faith to and hang on to. And so in order to do that, like Todd's been saying week after week, it seems it's important to read your Bible. It's important to read your Bible. You may be getting tired of hearing it, but you need to hear it until you do it. You know, you can say, I've heard that before. I've heard that a hundred times, but have you done it a hundred times yet? And so sometimes we need to hear these things over and over again. And so it's important for us to read God's word. You know, it's good to get a word from a pastor, a word from a friend, you know, to give you a scripture. But I'm telling you, something happens when you get a word straight from God, straight from God. So yeah, it's good, but don't solely rely on your pastor or your your godly friend to give you a word. You get in your word and you get a scripture from God that you can hang on to. And again, you know, we've told this story so many times because it's a part of our life and our testimony. But, you know, God gave us this scripture in Matthew chapter 19 with God, all things are possible. This plaque, one of our youth gave us this plaque over 25 years ago. It's still hanging in my house. Why is it still hanging in my house? It may not be quite in style anymore, but you know what? This is the word that we hung on to. This is the word that God gave to us himself that we connected our faith to. And so when I look at this now, I look at this and say, God, you were there in my past 
in the darkest times of our life, when the doctor said that we could not have a child, you were there. And I look at this now and say, God, you are there with me here now because I can look at my daughter who is 22 and my son-in-law who is 25 and my granddaughter who is two and a half and say, you know what? You are there with me now. And I can hold on to the scripture for our future that if God did that for us in our past, what can he do for us in our future? And let me tell you, I'm believing this scripture not just for Todd and I's life, but for Olivia and for Penelope and for Benjamin, that for them, all things are possible with God. And so I want to encourage you to find a scripture to hang on to. Find a scripture that you can connect your faith to as you journey through time. Journey through time, not with fear, but with God. This replaces fear. This replaces fear. Number three, in trials and suffering, I think, I believe when we acknowledge God's presence, acknowledging God's presence will help us recognize that he is there. Again, David, you know, David said in Psalm 139, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I rise and when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. You hem me in, in verse 5, behind and before, you've laid your hand upon me. In verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We just sang that song this morning. Even when I can't see you and I can't feel you, you are there. This is David declaring that. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to, for me to contain. I can't understand how you can be there, but you are there. Where can I go from your spirit. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, meaning hell, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. David wrote this psalm right after he became king. It's it's um, believed that he wrote this right after he became king. And again, if you know the story of David, he had some really dark moments in his life. He had to flee for his life and hide in caves. And so for him to, and then he became king. And so for him to be able to acknowledge that God was there in all of these seasons of his life helped him to recognize, yes, God, you were there. And I think of Peter walking on the water. Todd mentioned that too this morning about walking on the water. Whenever he got out of the boat and he saw the wind and the waves and it says he became afraid, but then he looked to Jesus and he said, and he began to sink and he looked to Jesus and he said, Jesus, help me. And Jesus reached out his hand and he gave, he, he, um, he grabbed him and he pulled him up. Here's the thing. We look at this scripture a lot of times and we talk about you know, the doubt that Peter had and the fear that they had and focusing on the winds and the waves and focusing on the trials and the suffering. But whenever I saw this scripture in verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. All of a sudden, acknowledging that the Lord Jesus was there became way more important 
and more valuable than acknowledging the the circumstance, than acknowledging the trials and the suffering that he was in. And when he acknowledged, Lord, you're here, help me. What did Jesus do? It says, verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. So acknowledge Jesus in your trials and suffering. When my dad was in the hospital and he was, he was in critical condition and he was, he was on all kind of pain meds and he was bro- he was a broken man literally he was flat on his back and broken and he he was really critical and he he couldn't he couldn't even sleep at night like he was hallucinating so bad and he was in so much pain he was trying to get out of the bed and we would have to literally stand by his bedside all night long to keep him in bed, to keep him safe, because he would try to get out of bed just because of all of the, uh, really the, um, um, the pain that he was in and the hallucination, the trauma. His brain had so much trauma that he, he didn't even know what he was doing. And my mom went, um, went spend the night with my sister one night to get some rest. And so I stayed with my dad alone one night. And, um, and it was a rough night because he was, he was trying to get out of bed and I didn't want him to hurt himself. And so, um, pretty much almost the whole night we just, I just worked with him and, um, you know, just tried to keep him calm and tried to help him sleep. And it just, nothing I would do was working. Like, and I was, I, I became so overwhelmed that I just, I went and sat in the chair and I said, Lord, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm trying everything and nothing is working. I felt like Peter. I looked at the wind and the waves and I started sinking. And so I sat down in that chair and I said, Lord, you are there. Help me. I need you to help me. And I'm not kidding you. In that very moment, I sensed a presence walk into that hospital room, walk up to the side, the bedside of my dad, place his hand on his head and on his broken shoulder. And right away, my dad calmed down. And my dad fell asleep for 30 minutes straight. Now, for a lot of people, that may not sound like very much time for, but for someone like him and for us going through what we were going, it felt like hours. And it was just enough time for me to rest, to get, regain my composure, to get back up and help him through the rest of the night. God was there. When we get our eyes off of the trials and onto him, acknowledging that he's there, he will help us. And finally, in death, I want to encourage you to respond with worship. You know, I think about two people here, Job and King David. Now, we know that Job and King David lost their children. Job lost all of his children. King David lost his son. And it was a very painful experience for them. But, it's, but it talks about that after their children had died, that they got up. And they worship. That's the first thing that they did, that they worship. You know, I believe that something happens when we worship in our loss. And, and their families couldn't understand it. They were like, Job, what, curse God and die. What's your problem? But the scripture says that Job got up, he worshiped, and then he said, naked I've come, in my mother's womb, naked I've come, naked I will go, but bless, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he did not sin by blaming God. And, and also King David, he said, who am I? Why should I fast? Can I bring this child back again? He said, I will go to him. He will not return to me. They had these responses only after they worshiped. I, I don't know. It's a miraculous thing. 
because the death is, is such a painful loss. But something happens when we worship in death. Again, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. You know, there will be pain in loss. We will experience pain in our loss. But pain on its own focuses solely on the loss. Pain with worship focuses on the gain. Focuses on the gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I can't, he can't come back to me, but I can go to him. When you lift your hands in worship, it is as if you were saying, God, you are here with me in my pain, in my loss. And one day I will go to be with you and the ones that I love. And so I just want to um, encourage you this morning. Todd's going to come up and close. But I just want to encourage you, whatever season that you're in in life right now, respond accordingly. Because God is there. He's waiting for you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, meaning if you respond, I will come in and dine with you. Amen? Thank you so much.